I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a Polish ghetto here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Dybart. And I'm Phil Iskov. And with us today is Toby Herman, brave enough to join us as we the talk finally about the Robin Williams film yeah. you always wanted to hear us talk about, Jacob the Liar! Hi guys. It really can I just say Hi, one Toby. of one of the the myriad of issues I have with this film uh, is that it wouldn't be pronounced Jacob. So there's that. It would be Jacob, Jacob? or something or something along those lines. So, yeah, Jacob the liar, and everyone calls him Jacob in the film. I don't have a like, problem with that. I mean, we could spend an hour and a half talking about the various accents <laughs> alone. Sure, yeah. sure. And and the lack of well not lack I guess there's a there's a handful of actual Jewish people in this film but then there are some that are not. There's not even like minions. The lead. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anywho, so. I thought about that a little bit during it. How do you guys? <laughs> so let, let uh, let's yeah. talk about this. Let's talk about it. So about this movie, Jacob the Liar. Mm-hmm. Phil, yes. got, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys in on a little secret. This isn't gonna be a long one. Yeah. Um, you probably noticed for the running time you already saw why I think it probably said three or four minutes for the whole thing. But, uh, but, uh, Phil, let's, yes, let's cut through the bullshit. Yes. Go right to the synopsis. Yeah. 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 We're going to, we're going to, yeah. 
And let, and then let's talk some Jewish shit. Yeah. Uh, so it's 19, apparently this film takes place in 1944. We'll talk about how I'm not sure that's entirely possible, but we'll just talk about that later. Uh, in 1944, Jewish shop owner Jacob, played by Robin Williams, overhears a radio broadcast on the movements of the Soviet army while he is, uh, shuttled to Nazi headquarters from the Warsaw Poland, Poland ghetto where he is imprisoned. Upon his return, he whispers that he heard to his friend, Misha, played by Liev Schreiber. And before long, the whole ghetto is alive with rumors and hope that the long war will soon end. Determined to keep up his spirits, keep up their spirits as best he can, Jacob continues to lie with the best of intentions. Jacob the Liar opened on September 24th, 1999, in eighth place with $500,000. It was, I believe it was platformed. Uh, against uh, Double Jeopardy, Blue Streak, The Sixth Sense, For Love of the Game, and American Beauty. It would go on to make $4.9 million on a $45 million budget. It has 29% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. It is 63% from audiences. It also received a Golden Raspberry Award nomination for Worst Actor for his performances in Jacob the Liar and Bicentennial Man, but lost to Adam Sandler, who was nominated for Big Daddy. Bullshit. Big Daddy is fantastic. Bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) Absolute bullshit. Fucking raspberries. (laughs) I didn't even think they watched this movie. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's just absurd. Patently well, false that Adam Sandler in Big Daddy is worse than Jacob the Liar in Bicentennial Man. And, and how anti-Semitic is that? Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> Going against the real Jew, <laughs> where this guy sitting here playing a fake Jew. Yeah. All right, Toby, me, what do you think uh, of this hold movie? On, hold on. Oh, Let sorry. me just quickly read the, the two-star, a very quick two-star Ebert review. This film invites the comparison with Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful, the 1998 film about a clown who tries to use his gifts of humor and imagination to save his little boy in a Nazi camp. Jacob, directed by Peter Kasovitz, uh, the father of Matthew Kasovitz, who appears in this film, uh, was not inspired by Benigni's success based on a 1975 East German movie. It was filmed before Life is Beautiful and was released. Uh, if you're wondering, and I'll bet you were, before William Schmaltzfest, Patch Adams. Life is beautiful, which is clearly a fantasy, to Jacob the Liar, which is just contrived and manipulative, but pretends it's not. You have to earn the dividends of realism. Life is beautiful is all of a piece. The opening hour showing us the limitations that the hero has to work with once he's inside the camp. Jacob the Liar wants the freedom of the Benini film, but doesn't want to pay its dues. Movies as different as Dead Poet Society and Patch Adams have brought to a halt by interludes in which Williams darts in a frenzy from one character to another. Here, in a scene that passes for restraint, he imitates Churchill and uses a kitchen funnel and, a, and flour to create sound effects, only sneezing a little because of the flour. These scenes demonstrate that Williams cannot use shtick in a serious movie without damaging the fabric of the film. Um, I I want to ask a question to the to, to both of you here about... Like, I I understand why Robin Williams made this film and, quite frankly, produced this film. He was an executive producer on this movie as well. Like, I understand from 30,000 feet why he thought this was potentially a good idea. Conceptually, the idea of of Robin Williams pretending he has radio and doing, I guess, Good Morning Vietnam from the Holocaust. Like, on some (laughs) level, I understand that notion. It's a bad idea, but I could understand why he thought that might be a good idea. What do you guys think of that theory? I think, I think, oh, hi guys. Um, I, <laughs> hey, Toby. I think the whole thing is, is unfortunate. I think it, it's ill-conceived. I believe it's based on a book and I, I know it was based on, on the, it was on based on a book, yeah. a book, then a film. Exactly. Yep. And the film, the, the 75 film was well-received. Yep. Nominated yep. for Best Foreign Language Film. Yep. So, continue, sorry. I mean, I will say, if this had been a foreign film, if every actor had been Polish, if they had spoken in that language, I would have bought in a hell of a lot more. That said, there are ways to make this film work. They just didn't find those ways i completely agree with you i i absolutely agree as well i i i texted this to to you kenny as i was watching it and, and i and i stand by it which is that um threading the needle of this movie the tone that this film is going for is a nearly impossible high wire act of like gallows humor and fantasy and character drama like it's it's 
it's incredibly difficult. That's not to say that I don't think that it's possible. I think all three of us see a potential film here, but like this is just off the charts difficult. And I don't know why anyone would try to do it. This movie, all right, so this movie stinks. But <laughs> yes. there, there, there is this weird, very Jewish desire to turn the Holocaust into something hilarious. Um, and sometimes it works really well. Yeah, Mel like, did it very well. That's what I was going to say. The producers, <laughs> like, they work, sometimes it works really well. And sometimes, yeah. you know, Life is Beautiful when it came out was a phenomenon that has, like, somehow suffered. Not somehow. I mean, we, we it suffered over the course of the last 25 years in the public perception to the point where I think most people, or at least most uh, film people, think it's a bad movie now. Yeah. But um, but it was a phenomenon. It was beloved, and and uh, there's no doubt that in the moment it did what it was trying to do. But I I, I can't think of a lot of other you know massive genocidal tragedies <laughs> where the people who who were on the receiving end of this genocide make film after film after film, including like Jerry Lewis's The Day the Clown Cried, which never actually came out because it was so weird. Mm-hmm. That that like basically is. Uh, funny Holocaust. And don't get me wrong, I get the need. I get Gallo's humor. I get the need to, you know, try to find, trying to find light in the darkness and all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. This, this is not really for me in, in that respect. I do want to say something though. A couple okay. things. I think this is not the world's worst idea. And, I think that there's something kind of interesting happening in this movie that reminds me a lot of what's happening right now. For instance. Misinformation, you mean? <laughs> the weaponization of misinformation, but this, this strong desire to believe that someone is on their way to save you. There's a moment in this where Robin Williams goes. So basically in the movie, Robin Williams hears the radio twice. The first time he hears that the Soviet army is uh, approaching and maybe we, we you know, the, the, the Jews stand a chance of being liberated. The second he hears a soccer score. Uh, and the soccer score is three to two. Here's Churchill's, you know, give the, the, the title of a soccer score, the, the, the score of a game. And the people that he's telling it to go start saying three to two, three to two. Maybe it's a code. Maybe that means something. Three, two. What does that mean? That is QAnon to me. That is what is happening right now, where people start hearing Trump say, you know, things that are demonstrably, demonstrably opposite of what they think he's saying. Like, take the vaccine. And I'm not writing for Trump, obviously, but simple things like take the vaccine and people coming back and be like, he would never it's say that. It's not his voice. Yeah. It's not his voice. <laughs> it's not his voice. They, yeah. the, the, the lies people are willing to tell themselves to believe that everything is going to be okay. This, it's interesting because this movie presents that as a greater good, <coughs> presents that as the foundation of hope, where, and, and never waffles from this idea that is a good thing, what Jacob is doing and not, you know, peddling false hope. But in real life, we've seen it weaponized in a very disgusting, scary way that has actually cost lives. So. It's, yeah, no, I, I don't think this movie's yeah. I don't think this movie's without merit whatsoever. I think I think it's a fairly interesting thing. And my hot take is the story is too small for a feature length movie uh, that costs forty five dollars with Robin Williams. The story would succeed uh, as a play. I was just going to say it belongs on stage if it belongs anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with both of you. I think that that this that. It's. I couldn't also help but as I was watching it, thinking like, this director had not really done much, um, so you know he he really kind of took on the burden of of a of obviously incredibly difficult subject matter with a with an actor who is sort of desperate to go off the chain, right? I mean, this, this, this Robin Williams is always kind of looking for an opportunity to 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 do the Robin Williams shtick. And I'm, I obviously this is not the subject matter nor the, the, you know, the, the appropriate place for him to do it. Um, I also 
I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the the tone of it is is just so strange. It's it's too playful at times. Um, it's it's also playing with history in a way that doesn't really make any sense. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the Polish ghetto was liquidated in in early to mid nineteen forty three. So, I guess we could just perhaps suggest that this specific area of Poland wasn't liquidated, quote unquote, until forty four. I don't quite understand why we we need to do that. Why this film couldn't just take place in 43 is sort of beyond me to some degree or another. There's just weird sort of historical stuff that I don't totally get. Um, it it just it, it's 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 a it's a it's a disappointing movie because I think there's real potential here. As Kenny mentioned, when I read what it, like as the, as the plot of this film started to unfold. The idea of of a Jewish person overhearing, mishearing intel and relaying that to prisoners is not a bad idea. Like in and of itself, there's a way to actually take that and do something interesting with it. Um, they're just not particularly interested in doing that. It's, it's a very small idea. That's true. Right? Yeah. This, I mean, and that's not a bad thing. Right? This this whole movie could take place in three locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, essentially in, in offices, it's funny on our Patreon 89, we did uh, Steel Magnolias, which was mm-hmm. a thing. And Steel Magnolias does the opposite. Like Steel Magnolias, uh, I, I think it works very well as a film, but the play takes place in one location. Yep. And I was thinking this whole time that this could have taken place in his apartment, some communal space, and the, uh, and the officer's office. Yep. And it would have worked quite nicely because yep. it's about information, dissemination of information and misinformation. And that's it. That's the whole yep. thing. So I, I the attempt to make this grander and fill all the space, this mental space, psychological space you expect from a Holocaust film or a film Holocaust adjacent um, is, uh, is, is what kills this movie because they don't know what to do with it. I, I absolutely agree. It, it, it's, it's kind of and in its own way it's overproduced as well like it it almost looks too good and too i mean 45 million dollars is a lot of money in 1999 um you know there is i you know what i mean for (laughs) for you know my point i'm saying that it's probably closer to 90 in in 1999 um but you know it's one of those things where you know it's one of the reasons why spielberg was so adamant to not shoot schindler's list in color um you know finding ways to to strip away the artifice of a hollywood movie under this subject matter is incredibly important so instead what you're left with is a film that that looks surprisingly overproduced for a movie that's supposed to be about you know it's it's like what kenny you might remember when we were talking about angela's ashes had a similar sort of like overproduced quality for squalor that then kind of comes back on itself and is no longer effective at actually showing you how terror it's it's a weird sort of dissonance that happens um I also just want to briefly talk um, for a second here. We talked a little bit about this in the Bicentennial Man episode, but I, I just the, the fulcrum point we're at in Robin Williams' career here, where it's the back-to-back one-two punch of Jacob the Liar and Bicentennial Man that has him seriously reconsider the trajectory of his career. He goes away for almost four years to and, and comes back with a with a, a string of movies like Insomnia and and uh, One Hour Photo and like yeah. tries to sort of change people's perspective of him a little bit um you know it's it's a little bit of the you know he wins the oscar for a well-deserved oscar for for goodwill hunting um in 97 and then it's kind of a string of just like classic post-oscar cash grabs that happen and it feels like it just he got over his skis and i respect the fact that he that he tries to course correct i think it's interesting um but yeah, I mean, and, and then and then ultimately he <laughs> he kind of goes back to taking the money a few years after after insomnia and and one hour photo. But it's clear that he just he he wants to be taken seriously as an actor, and and rightly so, he's a good actor. Um, but this was just this this was a this was a misguided effort. We it, he should never have gone here. But I also think know. it's interesting building off of what you just said, Phil. He mm-hmm. was taken seriously as an actor. Mm-hmm. Goodwill Hunting <laughs> did that for him. Um, and then he just kept pushing. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, one thing that just popped into my head, Kenny, when you were talking about, um, this film, have you guys seen Stalag 17, the Billy Wilder film? 
No, I haven't. It's, I, I have. It's fantastic. Um, and the more you were talking about it, the more I was thinking the tone of that movie is fascinating because there is a very strong, very distinct humor. They're POWs, um, in, mostly American POWs in a German POW mm-hmm. camp run by Nazis, obviously, um, and or German soldiers, whatever you want to call them. Um, Nazis, and, I'm happy to call them Nazis. Okay. Yeah, we can call them Nazis. And they're, they find out that, you know, people are always trying to escape and there's a mole who's feeding information to the Germans and, you know, there's this whole plot. But um, the humor in it lands. Like, it just, it sticks the landing and it's... <laughs> just as dark of a story, if not even more so to a point. And it just happens to, it just works. And I don't know. I just. There's a realism as well to what, you know what I mean? Like Billy Wilder really trafficked in this, which is why he was a genius and everybody loves him is that balancing act he finds between realism and, and, and fantasy and comedy. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that idea of sort of, um, I mean, The Apartment's another example of a movie that's essentially, the whole movie is about suicide for all intents and purposes. And it's an um, impossible tone that he achieves. And it's impossible that mm-hmm. he achieves it. Uh, which is, again, sort of, you know, comes back to sort of what I was saying earlier, which is, on paper, I look at this project and say, I mean, my God, if I stick the landing on this thing, it'll be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But there's probably a 95% chance I'm not going to do that. And I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt it personally. So then um, yeah. what does, what does Billy Wilder's Jacob the Liar look like? Does oh, that, I mean. You know what I mean? Like. I do. I do. That's that. I mean, I think that's the question that Kenny was positing as well. Right. Which mm-hmm. is that idea of like, where's, there's a good movie here executed properly by a person who's adroit enough to be able, nimble enough to be able to sort of see, you know, um, the right tonal shifts. This movie's also, this movie, by the way, like I actually wouldn't change the cast. I think the cast is, could absolutely make this movie great. They're just not given anything to do. The cast is fantastic on paper. And and not that they turned out bad performances. But yeah, no, it's a deep bench. But um, I don't know that I love Alan Arkin. I will always love Alan Arkin. Sure. He was doing this very odd half German, half um, like Catskills accent. Like, like. Do you know what I mean? Like it just felt like yeah, yeah. it felt like his like patented kind of shtick to a point, which I adore, but it doesn't belong in in the ghetto necessarily. And it made sense. He was playing someone who used to be an actor and all of that, but it was still he would slip in and out of the accent. It was very, very odd to me. Um the thing that I found the most interesting, we have Schreiber, who um so oh, you would is, do all the Liev movies. Yeah. Yeah. You only do yeah. leave leave uh Liev Chew movies. <laughs> so um you know, the first time um I was on the podcast, you guys had me on was for Walk on the Moon, which we all loved, starring Liev. We all loved and um yeah. it was really interesting knowing it came out the same year to see Yeah this film because he plays such a different person in this. He plays a much more naive, younger man um, in spirit, at least. And I found it really distracting. I thought. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And in, in my mind, this is the direction he was given anyway. It's not 100% him, but he that character did not fit in this world in the way they thought he did or the way they wanted him to. Mm-hmm. And honestly, once I made this association, I like could not unsee it. But that hat he's wearing, he's dressed yeah. like Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. Like, <laughs> he's, he's basically wearing a robe. Like, yeah. And yeah. I, just, I just couldn't get past that. I, uh, you know, this is... I don't, I don't want to read too much into this because, you know, but the, as I mentioned earlier, this filmmaker did not have a ton of films under his belt. And what I felt watching this film was that um, all of these actors felt like they were in different films. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't all feel like they were um, directed cohesively. So you you really did feel kind of these bizarre shifts of, of, of tone when like, you know... Um, my, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, Bob Balaban shows up. And you're just like, what movie is Bob Balaban in? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, and that's not a knock on Bob Balaban. I, I think he's a great actor. and I, I love him in most things. But to me, it just felt like the director was like, well, yeah, just, yeah, you just go with your instincts. And you're like, well, okay. Well, I, I, I wonder how much, I mean, look, now I'm getting into the, the realm of speculation. You look at this director's yeah. filmography and this director's filmography appears to be mostly Hungarian language TV movies. Correct. And I wonder, and this is only English language film, and I wonder uh, how much of the language he understood. That's also a, a fair question. How much of these actors' filmographies he understood and how much he understood how to... Uh, weaponize these really interesting guys he has yeah um and i do think that there was a lot of you guys figure it out it seems like there's a lot of you guys figure it out going on here so but that's not like that that can work by the way like actors instincts aren't aren't by and large a bad idea this is this is fucked from the jump this is just one of those movies that just feels like it was it was it was ill-conceived uh from the moment they went out and like look i I don't want to lay it at Robin Williams's feet but at this point in his career having won an Oscar having been you know the biggest star of the 90s I would say uh and essentially being able to write his own ticket and he wrote two wrote two very weird tickets this year uh but not crazy these aren't crazy movies on paper um I mean they're crazy the Centennial Man's pretty crazy they're actually on paper. crazy on, they're more crazy on paper than they are like but you we see movies like we've seen movies and performances like that work for actors correct um it, knowing what we know about Robin Williams, it just seems like he was not really prepared to, uh, or, or, or really kind of, he didn't have the disposition to take the executive role of the producer yeah. part uh, the way you would need to, the way Tom Cruise seems to in every movie he does. This this lunacy when it comes to micromanaging and keeping people on track and making sure that the directors and the actors and everybody on set are on the same page. It takes a certain personality to be that maniacal. And that just doesn't seem like what Robin Williams is. Robin Williams seemed to be trying very hard to tell honest stories. And part of his honesty was he is also a funny guy. He sees humor in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's always an opportunity to laugh, you know, always like that's what, patch adams is about totally cancer laugh it out um but it just if you look at robin williams's photography filmography Filmography. yeah there are some wild hits where he does this robin williams thing good morning vietnam dead poet society and then there are some crazy ass misses crazy misses patch adams is a crazy miss jack is a Horribleness. It's an insane like, miss. Some of these wild ass, like I'm trying to make a serious movie, but still being Robin Williams. Some of the worst movies ever. What dreams fucking, may come. Not a bad movie. Some of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, are are these movies where Robin Williams took a shot and missed yep. his shot? He is a guy who shoots the ball from half court, gets it gets it in thirty percent of the time, <laughs> and the other thirty percent of the time it hits off the top of the backboard and knocks someone out. <laughs> I do think that it's, you know, I'm looking at his filmography right now because we talk a little bit, we've talked about how 
Tom Cruise in 99, right? Like he's the biggest movie star in the world in 1996, right? Like coming off of Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire, it's quite possible that he never reached those heights yeah. again, right? I mean, one of those years. One of those years. And what does he do? Uh, he, he decides to move to London and make Eyes Wide Shut for two and a half years, essentially. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Mission Impossible 2, Magnolia, what have you, are, are locked and loaded and ready to go after that. But you look at, at, at Robin Williams, who, you know, coming off of his Oscar in 1997, he does have Flubber as well, which is a big hit. So Flubber and Goodwill Hunting both come out in 97. He follows that up with What Dreams May Come and Patch Adams. Jacob the Liar, Bicentennial Man. Like those four movies, to your point, Kenny, are four of him shooting from half court and hoping that one of them goes in. My guess is that in his head, he probably thought that Patch Adams was, was, and by the way, these, all these movies, well, not all these movies, What Dreams Become, Patch Adams were successful. Um, 2002, I mentioned, first of all, he does the voice in AI for, for, for what that's worth, but he does one hour photo insomnia and I forgot about death to smoochie. Oh, another that's big swing. Mm-hmm. That's another crazy swing where I'm just like, I, I'm actually, I really do want to rewatch death to smoochie because I, I actually wonder whether or not that film is better than I remember it being. But again, I mean, crazy swing. Death to, like death to smoochie was, was at least presented. Yes. as as kind of a bigger version of the things that were so big in 99 of the being john malkovich's and and you know michelle gondry movies and things like that like people really felt like this is the kind of weird swing that might actually like work for the oscars and by the way has worked for devito in the past right like devito Mm -hmm. had sort of made a cottage industry of weird dark comedies that somehow connected um, I went to see Death to Smoochie in the theater because I'm a big fan of War of the Roses, which we'll cover on our Patreon at some point. But like, I was just like, oh, awesome. DeVito's back and he's skewering Barney and he's going at kids TV. <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that movie's great. I, I should watch it again. I, I think I have the, I do have the DVD of it somewhere, I think. But yeah, so anyway, my, my, my point is it's an interesting place in, in, in Robin Williams' career. And 2002 is kind of his last swing. It's the last time he's shooting it from half court, as far as I'm concerned, because everything after that yes, becomes sort true. of just, it's, it's just all, sort of like. It's the last time someone let him shoot it from half court, right? That's like, true. so going back to what you're saying about one hour yeah. photo and insomnia, like yeah. there was this weird thing after 99 where people were kind of like, now he went away. People were also kind of like, Robin Williams is done. Like we're done. We're, we're we're done. Like we we did it. It was a great fifteen year run. Yep. But like we don't want that anymore. And it's interesting that he sensed that. It's yep. interesting that he sensed like maybe it's time to play some horrible villains. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, like one yeah. hour photo. The guy's a nightmare. And Sadi, this person. guy's a murderer. Like these guys are terrible. Yep. And it's it's interesting that he felt like that's where he should go. And that was also kind of if you look at his career. Aside from the, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made, World's Greatest Dad, that, you know, no one really talks about. Uh, that I've never seen it. Should I watch believe it? it? It's so goddamn good. I'll I'm watch not, it. Not, I'll not, watch not, it. not, I believe it, you. No, I know. Bobcat Goldwave, it's so good. Okay. Um, and it's also like more resonant now than, than before. It's fucking wild. Um, uh, it's actually. It's very similar to this movie uh, in terms of theme, in terms of the lies you're willing to tell, the lies you're willing sure. to believe, um, what hope looks like, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, kind of, kind of what lying to yourself looks like. It, it, it's a very good movie, but it's a small movie. It's a two million dollar movie directed by Bobcat Goldwaith that I think Ryan Williams probably did as a fucking favor right. because by like 2006, like the guy was like, I've had enough. Yeah, I. No, I he tried. Can't. He tried making RV. That was kind of his last. Like, I, I, I'll take a, I'll take a chance and be a movie star. But yep. after yep. that, I think he was just like, no, 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 I'm done. I speaking of being done. Um, as the end of this film comes around, I want to. That's kind of the last part I want to talk about uh, of this film because I think that it does something that I'm curious. Um, what both of you guys think? Um, it attempts to sort of undercut the entire film uh, with with a fantasy sequence, essentially. Um, I, I want to read just a paragraph from Ebert's review where he says, The last shot of Jacob the Liar shows an American jazz band playing in a field near the death camps of World War II. Three women who resemble the Andrew sisters are singing. The shot is a fantasy. That was Imagine wild. 
The shot is a fantasy imagined by a character who wouldn't have the slightest notion what such a performance would look like. What is it doing in the movie? I fear it is there for one reason only, to provide an uplifting conclusion, even if it has to be hauled in by the ears. Um, but it's a story that's so, told yes, yes, please, go earlier ahead. in the film. It didn't come out of, com- it didn't completely come out of nowhere. Like that little right. narrative was spoken, right? Uh, I mean, it might have been. I think, I, I don't I remember. think when he was retelling what he had heard on the radio, he's, right. he's he's basically recounting, you know, and it's false, but he's like, oh, and then these singers and then this and then that, and that comes to fruition at the end of the movie. It doesn't work, but I think that's it's It's what so it jarring. It, it made me think about how... A, there were a fair amount of people, specifically Godard was very outspoken about this, um, about the shower scene in Schindler's List, where um, the water comes out rather than the gas. Um, and he felt that it was essentially negating what happened in the war. You know, that Spielberg was, quote unquote, Spielbergizing the Holocaust. Um, this ending, which is a complete fantasy, which serves no purpose as far as I'm concerned, other than I think it's trying to sort of, I think it's weirdly trying to do what 25th hour does at the end where it's sort of creating these dual narratives so that you can kind of quote unquote, choose your own ending. Um, I think that's what they're doing, but it's unclear to me. I don't know. I mean, how, what did you take away from it? I think, I think it's doubling down on the notion of hope that it believes it has, um, presented throughout the whole movie basically in the sense like I mean I think Robin Williams narration literally says like right or did this happen you know what I mean and it's and it's basically right. like, or did it really happen yeah exactly yeah. yeah or maybe this happened and yeah he says know. maybe it wasn't like that at all right maybe it was like this so I I mean I understand the desire to be like okay let's show the realistic version then and yeah. then you know, like stretch out the theme, uh, well, the quote unquote theme that they think they have in the movie, which is don't lose hope. There's always a chance that something else is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But it was ridiculous. It was absolutely out of place. I don't know. What did you think of the ending, Kenny? I thought it was absurd, but it reminded me, it reminded me a little bit of my favorite ending of a movie, uh, Mm -hmm. The Mist. Uh, sure. Which, uh, you have seen it, right, Phil? I have. Just this is, well, this complete. One of the most depressing endings ever. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> okay. This this completely out of nowhere ending. But I, I, I did try to, I mean, I, I didn't get there in time and I wasn't going to re- rewind it. I tried to take a the picture of it, to send it to you, <laughs> and then uh, discuss how stupid it was. <laughs> But at that point, I was um, I was defeated by the movie to some extent. I think yeah. one thing we've missed when discussing this movie yeah. is how unrelentingly boring it is. Yeah, it's a real uh, snooze it's a fest. Extremely boring, nothing happens kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and that's that. Also, is you know a bit of a, a shame. I think that like. You know, we, we, we do fix a lot of movies on this podcast. That is kind of the, the, our second thing. And I think Toby and I kind of hit on earlier how you fix it. Uh, you, you make it a play. Yep. Uh, you cut out an hour. Um, you could stage it today. And I think that there's something interesting happening there. But I would look at it the exact opposite way, which is essentially, okay, right now in real life, we are seeing the way misinformation can become dangerous. Uh, is there a way for misinformation to be a positive in society? Because I think that's what this movie is positing to some extent, that in the face of hopelessness, um, maybe false hope is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, again, the, the, it's not really particularly interesting to answer these questions, but it is it is interesting i think to pose the question and then wrestle with it narratively um and i i I do think that there's something to that in this particular case um i would also drop the humor i think that's a weird thing with robin williams is like the goodwill hunting performance is such a revelation because he doesn't try to be funny at any point um 
and the the restraint. It's it's yeah. it's almost thrilling to watch this guy just actually transform into another person, um, and to know he has that in him. But I, I would imagine that's very hard for him. You've seen him. You've seen him do. You know, Letterman and and Leno it's, and those it's shows. Exhausting. He, well, he can't yeah. rein himself in for the most yeah. part, so it's hard. But um, yeah, I, I think that this is not the worst movie we've done by a long shot. It's not as horrible as I expected it to be. I think there's stuff here um, mm-hmm. worth discussing, and we did it. And it's Jacob the Liar. I really wonder. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please, please. Toby. No, go, go ahead, please. No, please. just thinking about Robin Williams and his career, if if he was still here, I mm-hmm. wonder what place he would have found in um, kind of like prestige television. I feel like he could have popped in a dramatic way there. Um, there Absolutely. There's so many actors of his generation or age now are. Um, I think it could have been very interesting. The the difference between Robin Williams and most comedians, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. is I think most comedians find having to be on all the time exhausting. <laughs> and I think Robin Williams finds not being on exhausting. <laughs> That's interesting. So I think that Robin Williams would have had a real – I mean he was on the show with Sarah Michelle Geller, the David mm-hmm. E. Kelly oh, show. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The crazy uh, ones. The crazy ones. Uh, where he did, you know, rein it in to some extent, but he was allowed to rob Williams himself. And I think he would have really struggled um, trying to play a, a straight-ish character. Um, though he would have killed it. You know, like, if, yeah. like I, Insomni is amazing. One-hour photo, he's really good. Like, he can play dark, for sure. But playing a straight protagonist, I think, is real tough for him. I, I, you know, it's, it's as you were talking, Toby, about like prestige television. My brain went to some, you know, him having some weird half hour on FX. Um, you know what I mean? Whatever that, yeah. might, you know what I mean. I think about the comedians, which obviously didn't work. Billy Crystal, but like, show, yeah, yeah. But I think about like that idea of like Robin Williams being able to just kind of like do whatever the fuck, you know, comes to mind in some weird sort of like postmodern deconstructed comedy or almost like um, on FX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or baskets. Yeah. I mean, that's, like that's the type of thing that I, I totally agree with you, Toby, that, that I think he could have found a really great thing that he could have latched onto and, mm-hmm. and it, it could have, it could have given his, his career a whole new, a whole new gear. Um, obviously, you know, what happened to him is unbelievably tragic. Um, but you know, he gave us a, obviously a tremendous amount of films that are that are amazing and, and and listen. The last half of the last third of his career, there is stuff there that I just, I haven't seen. RV, I don't know. RV might be great. Um, you know, I I didn't see uh, License seems to unlikely. Wed. Seems unlikely. Uh, it seems unlikely. But um, we did Jacob the Liar. License to Wed. He's basically playing like you know Martin Short's role in, in Father of the Bride. <laughs> cool, cool. No, he's he's like uh, he's like he's like comic relief. Okay. Um. So let's rate this movie. Um, I'll let you go first, Toby, since you were brave enough to to go down this road with us. Um, what do you think? Um, I don't think I saw it in 99. I don't mm-hmm. know. I was definitely aware of it, and I was aware of it yeah. before this. And mm-hmm. it was one of those where, like, you say the name, and I can see the... The poster. Or the cover, you know, like... Yeah. Um, or the DVD. Um, honestly, I'm gonna say 33. I mean, I just <laughs> yeah, it, like, that they, feels right. They, that, they yeah. tried, and 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 I do give Robin credit for all of the big swings that he took. Um, but yeah, I mean. The most exciting part of this movie for me is when I recognize Nino from Amelie and then they fucking shoot the guy. So. <laughs> it's the son of the filmmaker, of the director. <laughs> Matthew Kasovitz. Still. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you, Toby. I think I'm in, the, I'm in, I'm in the, the, the low 30s on this one. Like, I can't... This is not... I was expecting, and I think, Kenny, I imagine you were in a similar boat. Like, I was expecting something in the potentially single digits like i i, I really 100%. expected this yes this, this to be just an absolute 
you know. Painful experience. Painful experience. Uh, and I watched it and I was like, listen, it's not a good movie. I would not recommend this to anybody. I don't, I, I think it was, I think we've all agreed it was, uh, it was a, a, a misguided thing. Um, but it's also, you know, it's not completely bereft with, with anything worthy. I mean, there's good actors in this film. It's as, a, as we mentioned, perhaps overproduced, but it's well shot. It's well made. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to stick with your, your score, Toby. I'm going to say 33 as well. What about you, Kenny? I'm actually a little higher than you guys. Uh, you talking score? I think, yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> love you, Toby. <laughs> uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I I um I lost my train of thought. That was, uh, so I, I I basically think you know bad Holocaust is as bad as it gets. Um, yeah. Movie there's a movie called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which is one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. And um, you know really, and I think Godard's point about Schindler's List doesn't necessarily apply to Schindler's List, but it yep. does apply as a rule to Holocaust films in general. Agreed. Which is, you know, if you lose track of the horror, uh, you've lost the movie. I don't think that happened here. I didn't feel I didn't feel like this was inappropriate. I didn't feel like this was a story not worth telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's what I was worried about. I was worried we were getting the day the clown cried. I was worried we were sure. going to get Robin sure. Williams, you know, doing Milton Berle for a bunch of kids in a Holocaust camp, right? In a in a in a it, like, like that's what I thought. That's we a were nightmare, getting. nightmare version. That's a hundred. Yeah. I thought it was the. I thought it was going to be the genie. You know, does Auschwitz, but that's not what it was. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It was. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible, bro. It was a joke. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I just, you know what I mean. Uh, laughs are what I was going for. That's what I. That's what us comedians <laughs> feed off of over here. Um, give me more. Give me a laugh. Um, oh, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I thought it was all right. I mean, like, look, I'm not going to give it a positive score, but I thought it was all right. I'm going to give it a 42. Like, we've okay. done so many worse movies than this. I, I don't disagree. So many more infuriating movies than this. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to go higher. I'm almost tempted to be like, look, if you're going to, like, if you're going to, two things. If you're going to watch films about the Holocaust, I do think this provides insight into a different experience you don't see things in polish ghettos that weren't exactly concentration camps but were occupied territory that's a that's an experience that i think is uh, uh under serviced on screen sure um all the actors are great all they're all people you like seeing on screen um and you know this could have been so much worse and it's, it's damning with faint praise but like Again, I was very nervous. So I'm, 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 I was 42 before. Uh, this has not pissed me off. This conversation. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna go up to 46. I wanted. I wanted to kind of live in the middle of the year. I've seen worse fucking movies. Um, I, I mean, I, I hear that. Um, I was tempted to go a little higher as well, but you know, ultimately, I'm, I'm fine with my score on this. I, I think that it's. I, I, I hear you. Um, this was a movie I was deeply, deeply worried well, about doing we've yeah. been joking about um, it all year how scared we, we are this movie yeah now this i think it's emblematic <laughs> this is emblematic of the of of why this was such a scary proposition for us yes because yes. at some point we would have to watch shake up the liar which is a movie <laughs> that neither one of us ever wanted to have to watch but here we are and now there's only one film left that I'm really scared to cover, so we'll 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 just we'll deal with that at some point. What is it, Phil? What is it? The Other Sister. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a very scary movie. I bet you like. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm very nervous about The Other Julian Sister. Julian Donkey Boy, The Other Sister. <laughs> Those are the three were three movies I did not want to watch. <laughs> Julian Donkey Boy is one of my favorite movies of the Order year. Favorite. Yeah, and you didn't hate Jacob the Liar, so who knows? The other sister. So much better than I thought it would be, and then we got the other sister coming up, so we'll see how that so, goes. So, yeah, but um, but Toby, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on to talk with us about this film, and, and we, we, you know, you're going you're gonna to come back again for something else, I'm sure. Uh, it'll be great. Yep. Thank you guys for having fortunately, me. For, fortunately for you, there is never a dearth of Jew movies. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what juvies are left. We, I got to go through the list. I'm sure there's more. What juvies are left? That's what we call the Jew movies. Oh, okay. who? Who does that? 
The Jews. Kenny. Okay. <laughs> Kenny. Uh, <laughs> All right, Obi. Thank you on, so on, much. Uh, oh, he's going through. He's going through I'm, the list. I'm going to look real. Yeah, it's the end of the podcast. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, all right. Uh, is Breakfast of Champions a Jew movie? No. No. Vonnegut. <laughs> but I feel like Vonnegut traffics and Jew stuff. I mean, we like cereal. Not- we like cereal. I don't think it's a cereal movie. I don't think it's a cereal movie. <laughs> I, I mean, we're we're yeah. low on we're low on Jew stuff. We're low on Jew movies. stuff from Jewish directors. But oh, oh I got that. one. Lansky, the oh, God. the Meyer Lansky the, uh, HBO movie. Lansky movie. There you go. Hey, that's a good one. I'm in on that one. Toby's uh, face. Well, there's speaking one, volumes. There's one other one other big Jewish movie. There is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Four days in September. Oof, that's oof is right. That's a that's a hard one. It's a tough one. Well, either way, Toby, you'll be back to talk Jews with us at some point. That's I'm sure. Or guys, <laughs> or guys. Whatever you um, guys need, I love being here. Thank you for thank having you me so again. much, Toby. Love having truly, you, truly, truly. You're of the best. Course. Thanks for braving this with us. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.